Welcome back to Who and Company. It's episode 43. I'm Brent. And I'm Drew. WTF are you watching? The Writer's Room, The Memory Cheats, The Classic Horror Cast, Five Years Rapid. This month's guest is no stranger to podcasting. He's a writer, film critic, senior editor for Nerdist, and of course, fellow podcaster. It's Kyle Anderson. Kyle stops by to fill us in with what he's been up to during lockdown, his podcasting origin story, and what it was like to host a panel with Peter Davison, Colin Baker, and Sophie Aldrin. Then we talk about Kyle's pick of the month, the cultural Japanese phenomenon, Ultra Q. Find out why Kyle chose this very original show and why it would stand up very well on modern television. And all of that is coming up right after this. そして、それは我々に何をもたらしてあるのか。Our guest this month is a senior editor and film critic at Nerdist, and should be familiar with fans of Doctor Who and podcasts. He can be currently heard on The Writer's Room, Five Years Rapid. Kyle Anderson, welcome to Who and Company. Hello, thank you guys for having me so much. Yeah. Uh, we're absolutely thrilled to have you here. Uh, and one of the things that we've been doing the last, is it five months, six months? It seems like time has lost all meaning. Yeah, uh, yeah time is, is not just, here anymore. <laughs> it's just time has gone out the door. Uh, just a quick check-in to see how everyone's doing. How, how are you handling this lockdown? Well, um, I, I think I'm handling it okay, considering it's, you know, it's a, obviously mentally and emotionally taxing to just kind of just be stuck in the one place. I mean, it's summertime and I live in Los Angeles and it's very nice outside and uh, we have not been able to do a whole lot of, you know, outdoor activities and it's getting to my wife a lot more than it is getting to me. Um, Cause I'm a shut in. I can stand. Right. I'm very happy to just sit inside all the time. But um, even, even I, who, I sit next to a window, so I do get some sunlight, but you know, the direct sunlight, the breeze would, we take walks, but it's kind of, uh, more sporadic than maybe it would be just because we live in a pretty residential area. So there's a lot of people around all the time, but in general, I think I'm doing okay. Just it's, it's for me, it's been a lot of like separating parts of my house. Like this is the part of my house where I work and this is the part of my house where I don't work. And so just make sure that I don't cross the streams as it were. Yeah. Yeah. Going crossing the streams would be bad. Brent, how are you holding up, bud? Uh, things are okay here. Um, other than my wife being unemployed currently, we are, Slowly trying to get back to normal. I just spent the weekend in Tennessee for my aunt and uncle's uh, 50th wedding anniversary, which is actually two weeks after my parents' 50th wedding anniversary. So that's crazy. Um, Happy anniversary. Thanks. To them. And uh, my wife's in Massachusetts visiting her family and friends that she hadn't seen in a few years. Uh, but we're all wearing masks, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, um just hanging out at the house. I'm currently watching a lot of South Park for the first time on HBO Max. <laughs> and uh, I'm re-watching Highlander. I just got to season four. But um, it is so hot here in North Carolina. I'm just happy to be indoors with air conditioning. Uh, oh yeah. yeah, I've heard the East Coast has been blistering this, oh, yeah. this year so far. Yeah, it's been gross. It's been gross. Yeah, speaking of anniversaries, my wife and I just celebrated uh, ours yesterday. Uh, and we, we managed to go out for a nice 
creekside hike, but you got to go out at like nine o'clock in the morning because once noon, one o'clock comes out, it was like 93 or 94 degrees. Uh, and that is no bueno. No. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I, I, I've sort of gotten into the rhythm of what this is, this is going to be like. I do have a job now. And so going to that is odd because you know, I'm wearing masks and we're all being careful, but we're also in a public building because we're in a library and every once in a while you get patrons who are not. And, uh, you know, we have masks that we can give them and we clean up immediately after they're done using computers or finding books. We're being real careful, but still there's a lot of stupid out there. Uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's uh, really, really disheartening. Some might say it feels like we're in an unbalanced zone. Um <laughs> <laughs> might somebody might say that i'm not sure who and what country they'd be from but somebody might say that only for the first three or four episodes and then they'd change it but we'll get to that uh in a little bit um uh so let's talk podcasts um kyle you've been a part of quite a few uh, originally when i was writing an intro it's like should i should i list every Every podcast I've ever heard Kyle on, I'm like, no, I think people are going to want to hear him speak uh, on this this episode. So, um, you, yeah, so you've been a part of quite a few. What is it about the medium that appeals to you? Well, I think it started out that, well, I like the sound of my own voice, so that's always a good start. No, um, it kind of does this, what we're all doing, because we're all in different places. So bridging the gap, sort of like we can have this conversation and put it out there for people to listen to. And it that kind of how it started was the first podcast I was I did was with my best friend Lincoln, who I live in California and he lives in, uh, at the time he lived in New, New Jersey and now he lives in New York, but now he's back in New Jersey. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, he, so we would, it was a way for us to kind of like, you know, meet up once a week. Um, and uh, we did that for 200 episodes and then that a weekly schedule is brutal. Right. So we get, we stopped doing that. And then uh, a couple of years into that podcast, I started a monthly one with Eric Stadnick, which is Dr. Who the writer's room, which then became outer limits, the writer's room. And now is Sapphire and steel, the writer's room. And then it will go back to Dr. Who the writer's room at the beginning of the next year. Um, and so it just sort of like, it's, it's a fun thing to do. Um, uh, it's it's nice to be able to focus on something for a little while and then get to chat about it with people, um, and uh, and yeah, it's just it's it's part of my DNA. Even though everything I do now is monthly, I don't I don't do I don't mess with that weekly stuff anymore. <laughs> and I have nothing but the you know respect for people who do the monthly po- or the the weekly podcast because it's just it's I mean I was doing it at a time when I didn't have much else going on, and I can't imagine people who have like full-time jobs and do a weekly podcast like like Steven Spansky who I do the memory cheats with or did when we we did that show uh we'd have to he and I would have to record at like 10 p.m because he's just busy all day with all this other podcasting (laughs) stuff so um yeah it's it's a fun medium I enjoy it obviously it connects with a lot of people or not even a lot of people but you know you, you it always feels like you can find your audience no matter what you're doing um because somebody out there is going to enjoy. I mean, that's kind of how I got into the Doctor Who fan community to begin with. I started watching Doctor Who, and nobody around me, or no, nobody that I knew, cared about that show at all. So I was like, "Well, I need to connect somehow with people." And so I started listening to podcasts, and then just kind of like ingratiated myself into that world. <laughs> and then, like a year later, a couple of years later, I actually started one. So sure, it's just eventually everyone who likes Doctor Who will do a Doctor Who podcast. That's just the the rule. That's true. Yeah. No, it, it's true. 
Yeah, I first heard you on that show too, the WTF Radio Watching. I used to love that show. It's a great show. Thanks very much. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. That It's crazy that it's been, we've stopped like five years now or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe it's not quite that long. But yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, it's an undertaking. But it was a lot of fun. But also it was like, we watched 200 terrible movies. <laughs> <laughs> and that is not, that, that taxes your brain. You know, once once you discover podcasts, the, the next step is like, well, which podcast should I do? Well, clearly, no one's done a podcast about terrible. Mo- oh, oh dear God! Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, no, no, but I mean, it's, and it's now slight because you know that's the thing is like there's there's a lot of them out there, and I've listened to many of them, and I've liked very few of them, and I've probably listened to a hundred episodes of WTF. I really enjoyed that one when when you guys were putting it out, uh, even though I, the first time I listened to it, I was in a public space when the the opening credits. Oh yeah, got me into a little bit of trouble. Um, (laughs) But um, there's such a kind of a joy about talking about bad movies, and I understand like you can go into it not have to feel like you have to be serious or uh, be uh, educational. Uh, right <laughs> you can just talk about a bad movie so you know it was sort of it's weird that you say that because like that's true and when we started that's what it was it was just kind of us you know going through the movie almost beat by beat kind of just giving you know and then this happened and how stupid is that and blah 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 and then as my job became more focused on writing and then writing about movies and kind of like thinking more critically and stuff like that I started going like I I just I just can't do this I can't like just skewer a movie anymore like I, I feel like <laughs> we need to at least watch movies that could possibly be halfway decent just for my own sanity um but i feel like you know engaging with anything whether it's like high art or just kind of like pop art or or bad stuff like if you engage with it if you enjoy it it's not you're there's no shame in it you know people always talk about like guilty pleasures i don't think there is there should be such a thing as a guilty pleasure don't feel bad about liking something dumb just because you like it you yeah know? Yeah, well, let's talk about your job a little bit. You've been at the Nerdist for for a, a while. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you have. I mean, um, you know, you're a you're a pretty nerdy fellow yourself. Um, I was kind of curious, just as being uh, attached to the Nerdist and having kind of the weight of that uh, that sort of nerdy iconic group behind you. Is there any particular experiences that being associated with Nerdist has allowed you to really kind of indulge in your fandoms that you wouldn't have been able to do otherwise? Well, I definitely do think that like, cause I started writing, um, for Nerdist in 2010. So that's 10 years ago. I think it's coming up almost exactly on 10 years. Wow, since congratulations. My first thing. Thank you very much. Um, but you know, it was at a time when kind of like nerd culture was just just picking up steam. Not maybe just, but it was it was really ramping up. Um, and, you know, people started reading things that I'd written, which was really cool. But then, like, I I found that I kind of immediately had an in um, with people. I was like, oh, I write for Nerdist. And people would go like, oh, yeah, I know that. And then that's like that's an immediate icebreaker. So you don't have to be like, I'm just a fan of yours. Like they, you can be like. <laughs> and so I started going to Gallifrey. And the first year I went to Gallifrey is when I met a ton of those podcast people and they all knew who I was because I was the guy who wrote about Doctor Who for Nerdist. So that it definitely was was great in that respect. Um, and, you know, I mean, my job has sort of afforded me a lot of really cool, um, you know, even the worst day 
of work, you know, when they just have a lot of just crap piling up and things like that. I still just go, well, I wrote about Star Wars and Doctor Who or whatever. Like, it's not that, <laughs> like, it's not, it can't be that bad. Um, and so I, I kind of like have taken that kind of mentality with me as much as I can. Um, but I've, you know, I, part of my job sometimes is I get to interview cool people, cool, you know, I got to, I don't want to list everybody that I've interviewed, but like I got to like, Oh, you know what? I will say my very first interview. I've never, I'd never done an interview before. And it was over the phone. Most interviews, uh, especially if it's a print interview that you read is over the phone. Cause they don't have, they don't have the, the time to actually like line everybody up. But anyway, it's just a peek behind the curtain. Um, the very first interview I ever did for Nerdist was with Eric Idle, who is one of my actual like <laughs> comedy heroes. And I was, I was I'm glad that I was not in his presence. Cause I was sweating bullets. Um, as you know, a huge Monty Python fan. So, uh, and he was lovely, of course, but that it was like, that's like trial by fire. You know, it's like, here, here's a job that you maybe think you like, why don't you try <laughs> talking to someone you've literally idolized your entire life? So, um, that's the, that's, that's the kind of the fun stuff, um, that I've, that you get to do when you're an entertainment reporter. I don't really think that of myself was that, but like journalist, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. Yeah, that's cool. Um, well, speaking of Doctor Who, how did you discover Doctor Who? Was it was it through Nerdist or was it before that? No, it was before. And Doctor Who is how I started writing for Nerdist because I was big into Doctor Who. And so I kind of like petitioned myself. Hey, I really, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan or I become a huge Doctor Who fan. Um, but so in the summer of 2009, I uh, went to Comic-Con, the very, my very first Comic-Con. And my friend and I who were there, uh, one of the evenings there was not a ton or th- something that we wanted to do was like full and we couldn't get in. So we were like, we well, we're in the convention center. Let's find something to do. So there was a screening of both, uh, children of earth part six, the Torchwood episode and, uh, doctor who planet of the dead. Cause it was right around that time. It had already aired in the UK, but it was like coming to BBC America. It was the big thing. Uh, Doctor Who had never been on BBC America before. So that was the push. And it wasn't in a super big room. It was in a decent sized room and it was partially, you know, mostly full, but David Tennant was there. John Barrowman was there. Russell T Davis was there. And I, this is, I had no idea about the show. It was literally just something that, well, let's go sit and do this. And so we want, and they showed the Torchwood episode first and which is the sixth episode in a six part miniseries. So I had no idea what was going on. I was just like, what is this? And it's, it's a dark story. And I was like, this is like a bummer. And, but, I like David Tennant was very charming when he came out and introduced at the beginning. Uh, we ended up leaving before the actual Doctor Who episode because we were just like, yeah, now we're done. Um, but I, but I just remembered like everybody was really excited about the show. And then like one day when I was home before work, cause I used to work at a bookstore while I was writing um, one day before work uh, on BBC America, the episode father's day was on and it was just starting. And so I was like, well, you know, here's that show people are, you know, let, let's see what it was like. And I'm so glad that it was Father's Day because there's some episodes in series one that are not the best and maybe would have turned me off. And even though the effects looked really janky, especially in 2009 and that was 2005, even just four years, it it, it maybe would have turned me off. But this story is so good that I kind of stuck with it. And I went and uh, I just started watching the first series of Doctor Who. And I said, uh, I'll, st- I'll just watch this one series. 
It was like, I know Eccleston's only on the one series and I really like him. So once I finished with that, I'll be done. And then I finished and I was like, well, I'm just going to see what this tenant guy's like. <laughs> and then, and I was like, well, I'm just going to watch the first episode. And then I was just like, well, and, and I just kept doing that. And then eventually it was like, I'm buying series four. Cause it wasn't like on Netflix. yet. <laughs> so I was like, well, I guess I'm a fan now. Um, and that's, yeah, that's how it started. And I just, and then I started going back to the classic stuff. Uh, kind of sporadically as the DVDs were coming out, which thankfully they were coming out, you know, a bunch had already come out, but they were started to really come out while I was getting into it. So I could kind of like follow it month to month um, and then podcasting and all that stuff. So that's kind of how I got in. That's my like origin story of Doctor Who. And it just kind of eventually friends of mine started <laughs> actually liking the show. And that was <laughs> gratifying. Well, do you have a favorite doctor or do you have like a favorite doctor of the classic and then the current or... Yeah, well, I definitely, uh, Pertwee, I mean, we started a Pertwee podcast, so uh, he's he's been my number one classic doctor for a long time. I also like Troughton quite a bit. Um, as far as new series, uh, I always say that Matt Smith is my doctor because Matt Smith was just becoming the doctor when I had caught up to basically where it was. So I think the first Doctor Who episode I ever I watched live, as it were, was uh, The End of Time, those that two-parter. And so... I was like super stoked. And then I went to WonderCon, which at that point you, now it's in Anaheim, but used to be in San Francisco. That same friend who I went to Comic-Con with the year before we went and watched, uh, the premiere of the 11th hour. And I was just like, this guy rules. And that, so I, <laughs> even though I like all of the new series doctors to, you know, different degrees. And I think Capaldi, uh, is, tremendous and I, I think Jody Whitaker is fantastic and everything like that but I still I in my heart it's Matt Smith is my doctor yeah that's awesome is, is there a favorite season you like of the classic I think s- of classic or both um, I guess both yeah I, I mean I think that like the go-to answer is always season seven just because it's so tight and uh like you know grown up um I also really like season uh 12 um the first Tom Baker season and that it's kind of tough in the classic area because there's always a couple that are bad, <laughs> like or maybe not even bad, but just like these are not, you know, like the Santaran experiment is not everyone's cup of tea and even Revenge of the Cybermen's kind of bad. But I, I really like the rest of that season. Um, but I think series five and is like the best, like there's a couple clunkers in there, but even the clunkers are not like game breaking. So I always say that series five is like the best first season to go with. Yeah, I used to I used to uh, recommend series five as as uh, to folks who's like, well, you want to jump into the series. This is when Smith was the current doctor. I said, really, you can't go wrong with the eleventh hour. It's a great series. It really shows you how you can play with time. There's great guest stars. There's all sorts of stuff. And now I've just said, you just go watch Rose because um, if you if you like that, you're gonna love the rest of it. Uh, but I feel like yeah. that that statement gets more and more daunting every year. Because we just get more and more Doctor Who to watch. Because I mean, think about it's it. It's true. I mean, yeah, it's a weird like, uh, like uh, luxury problem to have. It's like, oh, there's so much of the show that's great, you know. Um, I think someone posted the other day that um, it was yesterday or the day before that Doctor Who has been on the air as many days as Doctor Who had been off the air. So like the the fifteen the fifteen year the wilderness years. So Doctor Who has been on the air for as long as it has. So now it's been actually back longer than it was gone, which is kind of a crazy thing to think about. In terms of like actual, actual physical time. time. Yeah, physical yeah. time. Yeah. That's really cool. 
I mean, yeah, because I know so many people don't like calling it the wilderness years. And, I, you know, uh, because it, there were things it wasn't just like the Wild West, like people were actually like continuing the brand and stuff all, all the time. But like in terms of like televised Doctor Who, it's it's cool to know that it's like, yeah, it's been on for that long. And like oh, a lot of us got in on the ground floor. And it's and it's also one of those fandoms, I, I hope, where people feel like they can get in, even though it's going to take them a while to kind of catch up. It, it's not. I don't think there's like a, or there shouldn't be anyway. It's, it's become, it's, it's kind of a waffling thing over the last few years, but like whether there is a, like a gate that needs to be open for you to be able to enjoy the show, um, whether by fandom or by the show itself. Um, but there's just so, and it's just part of me now, you know what I mean? Like it's been 10 years. It's just a part of my like whole being. And it, it feels weird to like, think about, not watching Doctor Who or not just, you know, I have, I'm, as I'm talking to you right now in my office, I'm staring at my wall of Doctor Who DVDs. <laughs> it's like, I just, I can't imagine not having those, you know? I think when I was first going from being someone who liked watching Doctor Who, and I I, I, I came to it with the, the TV movie and then didn't didn't watch it again until 2006 when, when it started coming out on DVD. Um, but I went from being someone who watched Doctor Who and enjoyed it to being a fan. And I feel like, Part of that was podcasting. Part of that was closing in on the 50th anniversary. So like, oh, yeah, even though I'd watched like four seasons of Doctor Who or four series of Doctor Who, um, you know, there was this moment where it kind of it switched over. And I remember being on social media and kind of reaching out to people I knew because I didn't know anybody really who, who watched Doctor Who around me at the time. But I, I had met, I think, just really recently met you online and a couple of other folks and I, I remember you pitching episodes at a, a theater in L.A. I think you were you were doing some kind of like countdown to the 50th. Yeah. And I was doing the exact same thing in Greensboro where like uh, we were watching like two stories a weekend leading up to at this little coffee shop. Um, and that was the I think that was the time I realized I had never actually seen. Uh, an unearthly child had only seen the failed pilot uh, because when you put the DVD in, it shows yeah. the pilot first. I've never gone chapter select. I just hit play all and it plays the one. And I was like, I don't understand how the show even got off the ground. The doctor's so grumpy and mean. And uh, it was the first time I think I'd, I'd let it play and then stopped it to talk to everybody. And I hit play again. And it showed the same thing, the same beginning. And then it was, uh, but I, I remember you posting, uh, uh, that you were getting like, oh, we got 18 people showed up to this premiere. It was like the biggest number so far. And, uh, you know, <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah, we used to do those. Uh, the BBC, uh, were, uh, BBC, what was it? BBC Worldwide or whatever, whatever the, the DVD releasing branch was called. Uh, they, they changed their name a bunch. But they were like doing that across the the nation, like different cities and stuff like that. We're, we're doing, um, you know, sponsor, basically sponsored um screenings where they would like give away DVDs and stuff like that. And the idea was to like, uh, get people who like the new series to come watch the old stuff. And I was really surprised, even though we didn't get a ton of people, I eventually we did like a couple of them had like 45 or 50 people, which is pretty big. Like I, I, they were always on a Saturday afternoon at like one in the afternoon. So it wasn't Uh like peak time for people, you know, sitting inside and watching something. But, uh, I would always ask like who has never seen this particular story before and then you know people would raise their hand and like who's never seen this doctor before and they would raise their hand and then I would say who'd never who's never seen any uh classic doctor who and 
you know, some people would raise their hand and a couple people in the crowd, like early on would go, Oh, and it's like, no, 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 don't, don't ooh them like clap for them. Cause they're seeing their fight. They're joining. They decided to come out and go out of their comfort zone and watch something that they've never seen before. And so I would always be like, all right, everybody, if, if you've never seen classic doctor who get ready for a play, <laughs> especially if, we're, if you're watching like an unearthly child or something, it feels so much the more like theater than it does television. Yeah. Or the web planet. We never watched the web planet. I refused. No, just kidding. <laughs> but do you have yeah. a go-to um, intro to classic doctor who like that you would like kind of a, a a blanket episode that you would story that you would show somebody or do you kind of feel around and find out what kind of stuff they like first i think that's kind of more the way to do it i used to say spearhead from space just because it's it's the first one in color but it, and it's kind of a clean break it's a and and it's on on film so it looks really good yeah but i think that that is so, so much it is so different from what the show actually is overall that i think you have to kind of pick you know, maybe something like the Ark in Space is really good or um, Tomb of the Cybermen. Maybe it's a little, you know, it's a little slow. It's good, but it's slow. Um, but I feel like, you know, there are other um, third Doctor stories, maybe like the the Time Warrior or something like that, which which is not maybe everyone's go to starting point. But it, it's like it introduces a new companion. I feel like you need to, you need to either start with a new doctor or a new companion Uh any of the ones but just to give yourself and give the person an idea of what the show kind of is about That's fair. i always think i mean this is kind of a tangent but people always like you know the first episode i show people is blink and i'm like that doesn't make any sense because nothing else on the show is like that ever and i always feel like blink should be like the reward for watching a bunch of doctor who you know right and the doctor's barely in it too yeah exactly like it feels like he's a guest star i mean he is a guest star it's a doctor light episode um but like and there's no other episode like that. Even even Moffat at his most Moffaty elsewhere when the Doctor's in it a bunch. It's never quite like that. It's just like this perfect contained thing. Yeah. Um, but I was guilty that, of that a lot. And I, I kind of regret it because people would be like, my God, that was possibly the best, you know, 45 minutes of television I've ever seen. I'm like, yeah, it never gets that good. <laughs> like it's yeah. never it's never that tight ever again. Yeah, I. And it's and it's tough too because you want to you want people to get into the show and to get excited about it. But that's why it's so great that the eleventh hour exists because it's like right. this is more this is what the show is, and the doctor's in it a bunch. He's the star, really. One of the few, you know, regener- post regeneration episodes where the doctor is like the star. Because mm-hmm. um, because uh, Christmas Invasion, he definitely isn't. Ugh. And Deep Breath, he's not really like he because he's so all over the place, but. Smith just, you know, hits the ground running in that episode. Yeah. And he needed to because everyone loved Dark, uh, David Tennant so much. That's true. That's true. I used to show people uh, Carnival of Monsters was used to be my go-to as That's well a good for one. a classic yeah. one. It's not, and I, I really do understand the first Doctor, first companion thing, but Carnival is such a, I think it's a fun story and it's all over the place, but it's like, it's weird and there's costumes and there's aliens and there's robots and there's, you know, a lot of CSO and a lot of politics mm-hmm. and, and humor too, which yeah. is also a good one. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good call. Actually. I never even thought about that one years ago. Uh, I was trying to get my best friend into it. It was, it was when the VHSs were coming out and I brought, um, pyramids of Mars over to his house mm. and he loved it. His wife, on the other hand, was like, <laughs> Oh my God. Oh, is this over yet? I got to go to bed. This is boring. <laughs> okay. She's, she's not on board. I think that a lot of classic falls in that category uh, for for modern watchers. But, you know, we were talking about how daunting 
uh, Doctor Who could be just because there's so much history of it. But I think, um, I think the way we watch and consume media has changed such that if you have it streaming, we're so used to kind of mainlining a show that you know, like I, I, I've, I think in the last two or three months we've watched seven seasons of Elementary, you know, <laughs> for the second time, and we're like watching one or two episodes a night. And that's just sort of how you do things now. I mean, I watched all first two seasons of DuckTales probably in a week when I got <laughs> Disney+. Plus. <laughs> like, I'm going yeah. through all of The Simpsons at a breakneck speed. Uh, it's just sort of how we view. I mean, yeah. admittedly, Classic Who is, it is a bit slower, but if you like that sort of thing, or even you even remotely can stand it, um, yeah, it's it's doable. Yeah, BritBox has really been a, a a godsend, I think, because you know I have all the DVDs, but I also have BritBox, so it's 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 so much easier to just be like, oh, let's put the, you know, uh, and just kind of let it play um, when I'm kind of like prepping for a podcast or something like that. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's really that really is the key because you know, and I think a lot of people hopefully we'll kind of start watching the show again or getting back into it with HBO Max now that all the new stuff is on HBO Max. I think that's you're right about streaming kind of, you know, uh, it's the it's the it's the gateway. It's the it's the way you can kind of get through things quickly, even though there's hundreds and hundreds. But that but that's like thinking about it like I didn't have that with Classic Who. I'm sure most of you, most of your listeners didn't. You guys probably didn't where it's like you went. All right. If you're me dvd by dvd i i have i've yet to watch it fully in order i've watched it i watched it everything probably two or three times a piece but i've never sat and watched it all in order because that's not the way the dvds came out so i just you know rather than waiting until everything was ready i just kind of kept watching as i went um yeah well speaking of BritBox, um i joined up on day one and because i knew because i knew um classic who was coming on there even though i owned them all um but (laughs) Uh, it was it was nice to have them all on a streaming service, but it was maybe two months later before they actually got it. And on the day, I mean, I, I go on there and I look, and there you are, <laughs> moderating a Doctor Who panel. Oh, that's Britain. right. So, uh, tell us how that came about. Yeah, well, um, the the my contact at BBC Worldwide, who was the one who um, set up all those screenings and stuff back when we were doing that, she and I kind of remained friends. Um, and and so then she started working with BritBox. Now she is like head of publicity for BritBox or something like that. Um, so, but she asked me. She was like, BritBox wants to have a presence at Comic Con. They're going to have a classic Doctor Who panel, which is the first time they've ever had that. Um, and would I like to moderate it? And I was like, you know, I was like, um, yes, of course. And it was going to be in ballroom. No, uh, the Indigo Ballroom, which was which is a huge, huge room. Um, if if anybody's ever been to Comic-Con, it's a big room. It's one of the big three. Um, and so I was I was super jazzed to do it. And it, ha- it they got uh, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, and Sophie Aldred to be the nice. guests. Yeah, exactly. And so it was just a lot of like me asking them about, you know, because they these are people who have, have talked about this period in their t- career for such a long time. And they continue to do it with Big Finish and stuff like that. So there's tons of stuff. And so I was kind of like, I was gearing a lot of my questions early on to... You know, maybe people didn't know a ton about Doctor Who. And then when the like the audience Q&A started, I was like, oh, these are all just like straight up big time fans. So I I didn't need to like lob these softballs or whatever. Right, 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 right. That was the weekend uh, that maybe not the weekend, but it was uh, they had just announced Jodie Whittaker 
uh, oh, wow. not long before. And so it was like, that was a big talking point. And so like a good chunk of the first part of that um, panel was talking about, you know, what does everybody think about now that there's a woman who's a doctor and stuff like that. And it was, it was cool. It was a really, it was a good time. And then they showed off a little bit of a reconstruction of one of the Troughton episodes that they were going to put on Brit Box. Um, so yeah, it was fun. It was, that was a good time. Um, and then uh, I can point, I don't know when this comes out, but for, for uh, Comic-Con at home, uh, Brit Box has, has me, uh, moderating the uh, the Red Dwarf panel. Oh, Red sweet. Dwarf, awesome. Yeah. That's great. So I've already recorded it, which I think I can say. And it was a lot of fun. So um, I'll be on BritBox some more, I guess, is my point. Because <laughs> they are putting out uh, the new Red Dwarf on BritBox soon, right? Is that what that's for? Yeah. I think yeah. like the day after the panel or something like that, or maybe that night or something. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, the new movie that uh, they made it's yeah. it's basic it basically is the new season but it's it's a feature length that's cool. cool i mean yeah. i think that's a smart way of of doing it all at once mm-hmm. uh yeah i can't believe you talk about another show that uh that have, which have varied history no one has talked about that one yet on this podcast that's uh i'm looking forward to that conversation Redor- and you know what like that was not one that I knew that well. So I did a, a bunch of crash courses before the, I mean, cause I knew what it was obviously sure. because like I, you know, just media kind of sponge, but I hadn't seen a ton of it. And so I watched, a, you know, like the first five episodes or something like that. And then I kind of like found something that said the best episodes of red dwarf. And so I watched a bunch of those and then I watched the movie and luckily like, this isn't hopefully a spoiler, but the movie ties in so much to the very first couple episodes. And I was like, well, I'm really glad oh, I watched those. Nice. <laughs> but, that's cool. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm, that's really, uh, I'm excited about that because I'm a huge fan of the X number of seasons, uh, <laughs> leading up to mm-hmm. it. We get to the point where, um, I think for a lot of people who watched doctor who on PBS, uh, I always turned it off right after Red Dwarf, and Red Dwarf used to be on before Doctor Who, and uh, I, I I was definitely a fan of that before. I mean, you know, we all have our we all have our weird shows that we we like our, our weird fandoms. Yeah, and when I think about all the cool crap that was on PBS <laughs> back when we were kids, man, like it's 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 amazing they got away with that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing they got away with it, but it's also amazing the stuff we missed, right? Like, there's yeah, so. For sure. <laughs> You know, if, if this doing this podcast has taught me anything, there's there is so much more to appreciate there out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so speaking of which, whenever we have a guest on who we know through Doctor Who, we also know that, that Doctor Who is not the end all and be all of their fandom. We ask them to bring on a show that they want to talk about. Kyle, please tell us what show have you brought us and why did you select it? Uh, well, why will be a fun story, but um, the show I have selected is uh, it's called Ultra Q, which was a Japanese series that was produced uh, in 1966. It ran for 28 episodes between January and July of 66. And um, it's basically it, it ostensibly is uh, they wanted it to be the Twilight Zone, but in Japan. Um, I think it plays a lot more like. Uh, obviously, this didn't exist at the time, but like uh, the X Files, because mm-hmm. it's the same core group of characters investigating, you know, strange things in Japan. But it was produced by uh, Subaraya Productions. A.G. Subaraya was the special effects uh, supervisor of all the Toho Godzilla movies, and so at a certain point, he broke—not broke away. He still did those movies, but he started his own production company 
specifically for television, to bring that level of special effects to TV. And so the Tokyo Broadcasting System uh, uh, liked this idea that eventually became, it, it went through a, a few different uh, titles, um, but it eventually became Ultra Q. Q meaning question, and Ultra was sort of like a, a slang term in Japan. Ultra C was a thing that they would say, which meant like giving 110%. And so that was, and uh, that w had just been like a big thing at the 64 Summer Olympics was their team won because they had Ultra C. Um, and so <laughs> the, when the show came out, that was still like a big thing. So they called it Ultra Q, meaning like, ooh, it's weird, isn't it? And that spawned the Ultra series, which, you know, uh, the year after Ultra Q was Ultraman and then Ultra 7. And then Ultraman has continued to pace until now. It's still going. Um, but the idea for the most part is that you have giant monsters or, or maybe not giant, but monsters and aliens and just weird stuff that this, um, uh, um, reporter and her friends who are helicopter pilots, uh, investigate. And so that's, that's the basis of the show. The reason I chose it is because co coinciding with quarantine, I needed something like when everything first closed down, uh, I was, you know, everyone was freaking out and I needed something silly to watch silly, meaning like not, I didn't have to engage my brain all that much. Right. Um, and so, uh, co coincidentally, uh, a film critic I really like named Tim Lucas, uh, on his end of the year, 2019 blog wrote like his favorite Blu-rays of the year. And so I was kind of going through like what he said. And one of the ones he said was the show ultra Q. And I knew that they were putting out Ultraman, uh, just cause I'd seen like solicits or whatever. And I was like, well, if he really likes it, because, you know, he talked about the black and white photography and how they kind of like, you know, uh, it. and he, he mentioned The Outer Limits specifically, and I was doing The Outer Limits podcast at the time, so I was like, well, okay, I'll pick this up. So I picked it up, never watched any of it, and then was like, all right, well, let's, let's give this sh a shot, and I just ate it up, and then kind of subsequently, coinciding with all that stuff, uh, Tokusatsu, which is the Japanese uh, superhero, or not superhero, a special effects show, uh, that's just, you know, tokusatsu basically means like special effects. Um, uh, a bunch of it started to, to come to the U.S. So basically all of this spring into the summer, I've been watching just gobs and gobs of Japanese television from the 60s through to now. Um, and it's been a ton of fun. But like, I've you know, I've gone through Ultra, Ultraman, Ultra 7, The Return of Ultraman, and they just keep going up with episode counts every season. <laughs> so like Ultra Q is 28, then Ultraman was 39, and then Ultra 7 was 49, and then um, uh, The Return of Ultraman was 52. And I've, I, I, you know, that's, that's, that's been my thing that I just put on. <laughs> I just put a disc on and like hit play all and that's my day basically while I'm working. Do you find that you have to pay attention to what's on the screen or could you kind of like half watch it? Or, I mean, I guess with, with shows like these, there's subtitles unless you're watching them dubbed. Uh, no, yeah, I'm definitely watching no. them subtitles. Yeah. And so I don't read every subtitle. I have to admit. Yeah. But, um, you know, the show is so vi all of the shows, but ultra Q is the one we're actually talking about, but like, it's so visually interesting and a lot of it is giant monsters attacking. And so, and so that's fun to watch. Um, and seeing how like, you know, the, how the good guys are going to win or whatever every week is is really fun. And some of the episodes are really scary. We're not really scary, but, you know, very creepy. And now they're, and so that's, they're legit. Some of them are legit creepy. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's yeah. It's just like a wide array. Like, I do feel like as, as much as I enjoy the Ultraman type of show, which is basically uh, much more lighthearted. They're all in color. It, it's, you know, eventually 
at the end of the episode, you know, the guy, the hero is going to turn into Ultraman and become a giant guy to fight this giant monster. And it, it's it's much more light and uh, most of them anyway. Um, but Ultra Q is, is a lot more, you know, akin to the early Godzilla movies where like the, the kaiju are bad and they are doing bad things and they are causing a lot of havoc. And so we'd have to figure out a way to stop them. Um, and that I think is really fun and interesting. And, and, and then they, they found a lot of ways to kind of subvert their own, you know, or the, the established kaiju formula, because at this point that had already, you know, since Godzilla to this point would already been 12 years. And so people had seen a lot of those big giant monster movies. And, and now on television, the first few episodes are all big giant monsters. Uh, and so they eventually started to kind of let's let's change it up. Let's do different stuff. Let's make it so the monster's not so big. Or, you know, they had like straight up comedy episodes or they had things where like just just a guy is a giant. Right. <laughs> Those are, you know, um, and stuff like that. I, I think was really cool that they were they were playing with the formula because it was a super popular show going week to week. You can't do the same thing every week. And so they, they played with the formula, which I find really fascinating. Yeah, I liked it pretty well. Um, I'd never heard of it before, but I'm a fan of anthology series too, because particularly because if you don't necessarily like one episode, there's a totally different one coming next. Yeah. So uh, I bought the set on Blu-ray. I think Drew did too. And I watched uh, the three that you suggested, which we'll talk about in a few minutes. But I, today I watched the one called The Demon Child. Oh, that's such a good one. <laughs> that was so freaky. I was like, oh yeah. my God, that was, but it, yeah, it's a cool show. Yeah. Um, were you a Kaiju fan before then? I, I mean, I was, yeah, I, I was a big fan of, uh, the Godzilla movies. I still haven't seen every Godzilla movie, but I like them. Um, I, I like, I like that st- I'm a big, I'm also a big Jerry Anderson fan, like Thunderbirds and Kevin mm-hmm. Scarlet and stuff. I just like miniature effects. I think that's, you know. CGI be damned. I think that, you know, uh, miniature effects are, are the way to go. And so I was just a big fan of that and the like, special effects spectacles. How can you make these little teeny things look even halfway real? Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they definitely look like toys, but sometimes they look, you know, you know, full sized and cool and stuff like that. So I was just a fan of that uh, idea. And then I, but I, I probably wouldn't have given it a look had I had Tim Lucas in that blog that I read, not kind of big upped it as kind of like, if you like the outer limits, you will probably also like ultra Q and he's completely right. Like it's, it's exactly that type of, um, it scratches that itch in a lot of ways. There was something that reminded me a lot of the first two seasons of doctor who, uh, about this as well, you know, that because they were going looking for adventure, but there definitely felt like there were sideways episodes and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, there's something about the beauty of, black and white when you first suggested this to us i was like oh great it's available on youtube started watching the first couple episodes on youtube that are in color they did an amazing job colorizing it like they really did i thought it was a color show um but not all the ones on youtube uh had english subtitles so there's some spanish and there's some japanese and i got two episodes in and went how much is the blu-ray actually it wasn't even the blu-ray i was like how much is the dvd set the DVD set was more expensive than the Blu-ray. I don't know how that happens. Yeah. Uh, it was and, out of print. Yeah, yeah, that's probably why. And I'm just like, you know, I got a Blu-ray player like the week before, and uh, I'd only gotten, I only owned one Blu-ray at the time, and I was like, I, I think I have to own this show because I work with kids and I, I got a lot of godchildren, and as I'm watching this show, I just keep on thinking, I know a lot of kids 
and parents who like God's the old classic Godzillas because like there's no violence, there's no profanity, there's no nudity. Uh, it's just a lot of you know fun visuals. Feels yeah. like puppetry, and uh, you know like monsters are always amazing. And just three episodes in, I knew this was going to be uh, an absolute must own. Uh, yeah, brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. Yeah. Well, and also welcome to the Blu-ray revolution. Like I, I was very you know, skeptical of it myself of several years ago when I, before I got one and it, it blows your mind when you finally watch like a legit good HD transfer, which this is, this was like fully remastered. Oh, it's um, gorgeous. Yeah. We have to give, you know, credit to Mill Creek, um, who, who's putting out all of the, uh, classic and contemporary ultra series on Blu-ray, um, with and they each there's no like on-screen special features but each set comes with a booklet that gives a ton of information which is really nice yeah um and they're really they're really nice sets too and so they look nice on a shelf they yeah yeah and i i'm i'm a little familiar with mill creek because they collected the old um saturday morning cartoon of advanced uh the dungeons and dragons cartoon and that was the Mm -hmm. first time i'd heard of them because they know they collected it and, and they they put out a special edition and then that sold out really quickly and they came out with a lesser special edition, which is the one I have sadly. But um, yeah, I, I saw them and I, I, I could appreciate the the work it, up to the point. The only Blu-ray I had in 2016, I, I went ahead, even though I didn't have a Blu-ray player and bought um, the special shout factory of uh, John Carpenter's, the thing uh, just because that's, that's how I do. Um, mm. And so that was the first thing I watched when I got the Blu-ray player set up. Oh uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have a lot of Blu-rays, and I still think that transfer of the thing is probably the best-looking thing I've ever seen on a Blu-ray player. It's incredible. It, it's so good. They do. So I I'm a big fan of these these kind of boutique um, Blu-ray uh, just you know companies that make they put a lot of heart and effort into their releases of these kind of smaller not smaller title not that the thing is a small title but you know what I mean like more niche I guess like yeah because you you get the new movies that have just come out. And there's like maybe a five minute like, you know, um, EPK, uh, uh, electronic press kit, like just fluff piece. And maybe there's some deleted scenes and you're lucky if there's a commentary and they just don't put a lot of effort into those because to them, because to, to, to the big studios, physical media is dead. But to people like us who are collectors of old stuff and, you know, uh, you want they want this. We want the special stuff. We want that stuff. Uh, and like Shout Factory does an amazing job. Um, Arrow Video is another right. one that I yeah. love. Um, Severin is really shooting up in a lot of like you know these kind of weird cult movie statuses. So um, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge I'm my walls are covered in Blu-ray uh, <laughs> shelves because I'm just a, I'm a physical media junkie. I don't think it'll ever go away. Well, you know, I kept on waiting for for with with everything that's going on. Clearly people are staying at home and watching tons of streaming and such. But then this has also been the time for me to kind of go back and parse through my, my collection of physical media and see what I've, I've got because uh, I just, why not? Right. Like I suddenly had the time yeah. and uh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's, I mean, I would love to talk about all of this kind of stuff, but let's talk a little bit about the episodes. Cause we asked you to choose three episodes that you felt kind of gave us a taste. You know, like if we, if I were to only have watched three episodes, uh, then, then the three that you selected, very interesting choices. Um, you, so you defeat, uh, Gomez, Gomez. Yeah. Gomez. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. The, 
the one eighth project and the challenge from the year 2020. Why did you choose those three? Well, I, so I wanted to give a good cross section of the types of episodes that they did. Um, and, uh, defeat Gomez is the very first episode. Right. Um, and it is your classic Kaiju, you know, attacking and people fighting it and stuff like that. They even redress cause you know, super is the one who did all the, um, uh, Godzilla effects. They right. redressed a Godzilla costume to be Gomez. So like you can tell in the, the legs and tail that that's uh-huh. Godzilla, but yeah, they, they put a different mask on him and stuff. And so it, it, and it introduces the characters in a really nice way. You've got, um, you know, uh, you've got uh, June, who is the the aviator, and he's kind of your your hero, your stalwart hero of the series, play, played by Kenji Sahara, who ha- was in the most kaiju movies. Like that's his claim to fame, <laughs> and he was in a ton of. He was in Ultra Seven. He was in a bunch of the Ultra series. He was also in a bunch of uh, other just Tokusatsu shows. So he he's your man when it comes to kaiju stuff. Then you have uh uh Yuriko Edigawa, uh who is the the reporter. She's the you know the plucky young reporter who wants to kind of make a name for herself uh she works for the daily news and then you have uh jun's friend uh ipe who is uh the young pilot in training kind of thing and uh and so the three of them have this really great relationship where jun is sort of he's the big brother kind of character to ipe there's also kind of a romance that blossoms throughout it's very chaste you never see anything but you get the idea that there is there is kind of a an attraction and maybe like a, a, a very innocent romance between June and Yuriko. Um, and then you have uh, Yuriko and Ipe have this fun kind of like brother, sister, you know, best friend relationship. And so there's this fun trio of people who have different kind of ways that they relate to each other going on all these crazy adventures and seeing all this crazy stuff. And so that was the kind of the idea behind wanting to do the first one. You also get Litra, who is the, the good Kaiju, which is just a redressed Rodan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it literally is just that. <laughs> um, but there, so there's a bunch of other giant monster episodes thereafter. Some of them are really good, but I wanted to give, you know, the other things that they did were kind of like creepy horror and, and, and weird idea kind of comedy episodes. Um, and so I chose the one eighth project because the idea, the basis of the one eighth project, that's literally about halfway through the series, maybe a little more. Um, uh, Yuriko is a, is a small woman. And so she is constantly feeling overpowered by just how crowded Tokyo is all the time. And so she gets kind of embroiled in this weird science plot kind of thing to shrink people so that they can make better use of the space they have, which is a crazy idea. And so she doesn't want to do it, but she gets shrunk anyway. And so she gets taken to this miniature town that is just a model village of whatever with all these short people, uh, not short, not literally short. They're, you know, she is tiny, like the incredible shrinking woman. And, and so uh, Jun and Ipe go to find her and they are the kaiju in this little town. And I find so that, I think amazing. that's so smart. And it's because yeah. it's the same plot, you know, um, you know, there, you even see the people running from them like they would run from, from Godzilla. And it's just these people looking for their friend and they're just wearing their normal like aviation outfits and stuff like that. I, I find that episode so fun and such a great use of what they had it's like we don't even need to build a monster costume we just have this set that we've already built nobody even needs to destroy anything like it's just such a cool idea except ipe does and that's a great thing it's like he's 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 such a like goof uh and he's like oh we could go over here clearly it is the 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 least accessible alleyway you could possibly go down filled with power lines and he's like oh I knocked over some things. Oh, sorry about that. And then people are like, ah, <laughs> screaming. Sparks are flying. Oh, 
Yeah. It's 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 a great episode. It's not it's not like the most like dazzling episode, but that's the point I think. Like it's 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 them doing taking what they have at their disposal and kind of like turning it upside down. So it's like we've seen kaiju attack a, a city and a, the people in Japan obviously had seen it a million times by that point. So let's just do that exact same thing but with characters we like. And there's another episode, I forget what uh what it's called. Um but there's one where a guy like eats a berry or something like that. And he turns into a giant and it's just a man uh, who is the, the monster. And I think that that's a fairly early one, I think, but um, uh, he, you know, he's the monster, but again, they didn't have to build a costume or, you know, anything like that. They just kind of made him look kind of dirty because he'd been living outside. Um, I just, that's, it's smart stuff like that that I really like. Um, and then there are other episodes where, our main our characters aren't even in it like there's the one where the kid turns into um uh he turns into a money like he his whole thing is that he loves money and then he turns into a money eating monster <laughs> which is so weird but i love it uh so um, that episode yeah the, the main characters aren't even in that episode and i was looking to see if they had any paraphernalia for that episode and funko pop is releasing the series uh with that one um, at the beginning of next week. That's so cool. I think wow. it's the night, or maybe at the end of this week. So it's like the nineteenth, or maybe this weekend, or something like that. Um, you can get the Kagen, uh, uh, Funko Pop, which I was tempted. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't really like those things, but that was it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's super cool. Um, so yeah, the one eighth project was one I really liked. But then my, my favorite episode, hands down, of the series, which is one I definitely wanted to talk about, was Challenge of the Year twenty twenty. Um, which is, it ends like the last half of it feels like a David Lynch or movie or something like that. Yeah. It is so weird. It's so um, weird. It, it's, it's this monster, this alien who is infiltrating earth and is using kind of like a, a liquid to, to suck people up. You know, it's weird. like they disappear and then they're gone forever. Um, <laughs> and, but they, you know, the military has tracked this, this, ship and everything like that but they just don't know where he is and it's because he can hide in plain sight because he can mimic other people and so you get to the end and he the the alien which is a really creepy looking alien with like eyes like it in weird angles on his head and stuff like that is mimicking june and they're at the carnival so it's all dark except for the carnival lights and uh uh, Yuriko like runs to him and he's like it's me come to me and everything like that and then like he's looking at her and there's a close up of him of the actor um, Kenji Sahara wiggling his ears and then it like morphs or whatever it doesn't morph it fades into the alien kind of doing the same thing and it's terrifying it's I, so weird it's so scary and uh, and then uh, they kill him but then he grows to be giant and then is like attacking the Ferris wheel and stuff like that and then at the end of the episode, actual June like returns and he and uh, Yuriko almost have a moment and then she gets scared of him. And it's like, oh, what if it's not him? Like the idea that your friend or your lover or whatever is not who they are is such like a deep seated fear in people. Um, and they did it in, in that episode in a really cool way. But like uh, directorially, I would love to hear what you guys think, because the end of that, like the whole section at the at the carnival is just, it's a nightmare basically. <laughs> well, it also doesn't make any sense narratively um, from, from the way the story is because uh, the, the ooze causes people to either a disappear 
physically from one plane to another or disappear from sight because there's so there's evidence that it turns some people invisible and teleports yeah. others yeah. and the idea is that they're possibly teleporting them into the future where they can harvest the organs to help with their failed race as a po like we learned this from a book that was written 20 years before about 2020 which is like, like it, if you didn't if you're not reading all the subtitles like that point is mentioned once and is never referenced again. Yeah, because that's a whole thing where like Ipe like looks at this book and is like, "That's exactly what's going on." This book that I read, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah. This this episode, I it was my favorite too, and it was just straight out wackadoodle. Uh, you had <laughs> fighter planes that were being shot down by a saucer, then you had people disappearing from the oozing goo thing, and then at the end you had the strangest looking alien hanging out at the fairgrounds. It was he. He looked at me like a deformed penis with jazz hands, and he was like, "Yeah, it, it was yeah. hilarious." It, especially the part where he's running in the street in front of the police car. Oh, I love that. That's oh, so good. That was great. Yeah, um, and you know, what I really love. I think that my favorite part of that. I mean, my favorite part of any episode is always going to be uh, our our plucky reporter because she's so amazing. She's great. Uh, yeah, and like. You just, I feel like with the exception of Lois Lane, who it feels like they're emulating a Lois Lane type, um, mm-hmm. you don't have a character like that, um, especially I think that the stuff that we were getting in the States from Japan, the way they represented women was definitely not the plucky go-getter. You know, maybe the 60s, right. of course, is a, a very different time just in general, but uh, she's amazing. Um, but she teams up rather than with Jun and Ipe, with this detective, this older detective, who you think is going to be this bumbling guy, who's kind of a Columbo-esque guy, who, yeah. who absolutely saves her bacon in one of the best edited shots in that um, in that story. I mean, there's some, yeah. there's some truly great directed episodes on this series. Now, not, not, full disclosure, of the 28, I watched 20 of them. I, I still want to watch... Uh, the rest, and I probably will continue even after we're done tonight. But, um, and and that is that is high praise indeed because I I definitely am, I want to watch all of it. But there's a there's yeah. a sequence where uh, you think she's she's gone, uh, and it cuts, and they they go into something else, and it's fairly ominous, and they wait a good five minutes to cut back, and when you find out what happened, this guy kind of like he's doing you know it's less Columbo and more. Um, blind masseur ichi who you know you think is fumbling until they draw his swords and he just wipes the walls with everybody um yeah yeah Yeah, he's a he's a really good character who never is in any other episodes they had a lot of really great like one-off actors too actually in that same episode um the the kind of head of the military at the beginning who is the one who kind of like gives the debrief to the to the you know uh, not the head of the military. He's like the captain right. that gives the debrief about the flank saucer and stuff like that. Um, that is an actor named Akiji uh, Kobayashi, who is maybe like the king of tokusatsu television. Cause the next year he played like the chief as it were on Ultraman um, who, you know, their little like band of, they were called like the science squad or something like that. But it was, is basically like a paramilitary unit that would investigate stuff. Kind of the same thing, but he was the, the lead of that. Or uh, you know, or the chief of that, and then he went on to be the mentor kind of figure on the first seven seasons of *Common Rider*. Wow, um, which is another like big. So he was in 
uh, I don't know if he was ever in Super Sentai, but he might have been. But like he's he's been in a ton of the big like tokusatsu TV shows, um, and he's a re- he was a good actor too. But um, then the actress who played um, who plays Yuriko uh, Sakurai Hiroko, she played the one the lone woman character on uh, Ultraman the next season as well. And then she she eventually went on to be a, a like a, an executive at uh, at Super Eye Productions. So like she stuck around at the family for a long time. That's really cool. Yeah, and there are three really good episodes, and it really, you know, if I had just seen those three, that would have given me, I think, a really good taste uh, of of what was available on this series. Um, aside from these three, so you said that that twenty twenty was your favorite of of the twenty eight, correct? Yeah, that ended up being my favorite one. Yeah. Um, do you feel like there was a story that just didn't work at all? You know, there's a couple that are like. Like once you what if the, if it's just another giant monster attack, I kind of eventually you tune out after a while unless there's something kind of extra there. Um, so I, I feel like, you know, um, uh, I was going to say Tokyo Ice Age, but that's a fun one. It is. Yeah. Any any anytime they go to uh, the snow, it, it's it's a lot of fun. Um, there's not. a few toward toward the end that are just OK. Um I don't know. I don't know if there's any that just like straight up don't work for me, but uh, there's definitely a few that I, I care about less. But um, you know, Baron Spider is one I really like. Oh, um, so good! They go to a haunted house basically, where a mad scientist turned his daughter into a spider. It's great and um, really well shot. Like, really there's well some shot, yeah. incredibly tense scenes, and I think not to spoil it for anybody else. I think that story is really let down by the fact that they like they want. It's kind of a family show. Uh, in the same way that Doctor is, like, I didn't think anyone was actually going to get hurt, and they don't, and it it's a real bummer because it's really set up to to really pick pick our party clean. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's the one time where I'm like, ah, I wish this was like a movie or something like that because it would probably would have been a lot scarier. But yeah. Balunga is maybe one I don't like that much. Or it's just a balloon, right? Right, right, <laughs> a right, right, right. Balloon monster. <laughs> that one is that one's pretty cool. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, there's none that are that, that bad. It's just kind of like your own taste kind of thing. I was surprisingly uh, interested in Mammoth Flower. Um, it, I, I just thought, like, well, I just in all of them, regardless of the story or the narrative, um, because as a Western viewer, you know, we are trained to understand how a story flows from point A to point C. Uh, and it doesn't work that way um, in the East. Uh, but the model work, I mean, like that, mm. we, it hasn't really, you've mentioned that you like it, but it really needs to be stressed that this show, particularly in black and white, is a, it's almost miraculous how good the model work is. And yeah. I'll, I will, I will not realize that I'm looking at models sometimes. Sometimes you're right. It looks like toys, but sometimes they've, they've, set up the shot in such a way that it, it's just superb. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think that, you know, the, the idea behind super eye productions and, th- and they've carried that all the way to now, cause they're still making, there's an Ultraman Z, which is the, I, who even knows the 25th Ultraman series or something like that. Uh, it's airing currently, but they've only done four episodes. And the first monster in that series was Gomez. They're, they're, really? they're, and people love that stuff. Like it's, it's all about the show is all about legacy. Like, um, uh, the Ultraman, like people like are rever, you know, new Ultraman 
Ultramans are uh, uh, reverent to the old ones and stuff like that. But anyway, um, the idea behind this show was like, we are going to put movie big screen level um, special effects on television. And that was, that was why it was such a big hit. People had not seen that on their TV ever before. Um, and, and it really works. It really shows. And like, we're watching it in HD, which they would never have done, obviously. Um, uh, on a, on a, you know, most of us have relatively good sized TVs and it still looks pretty darn good. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's just testament to Subaraya's like attention to detail. Um, and, and it continued like, um, of, of the, the like superhero ones, I think ultra seven is my favorite cause it, it's a little darker. Um, but the, the, the effects in that are just wild and like the way that they light some of the sets and stuff like that, uh, you know, of, of just big guys fighting each other, uh, you know, on miniature sets. Like it's, it, it's, um, it's astounding how, how good all of these shows look. Uh, Kyle, I know you, you hate movies or shows that end with the whole, it was all a dream scenario. So, <laughs> True. So, so do I. <laughs> Not a big fan. But w- what did you think of the end of the one eighth project? I, I think because they had done something so interesting with the concept, I, I, I gave it a pass Um, because obviously she's not going to stay a miniature person forever. Um, But, and it, it it kind of ends on a joke too, where it's like, she's still a little, you know, a small person. She's, it's not like she's suddenly a, a, a giant among people, but it's like, I like that the show was willing to kind of give itself that kind of, uh, that kind of out. Um, so I didn't, I didn't dislike it in that instance, but in general, you're right. I don't like it's all a dream episodes, but it, it, but it feels like it says so much about Yuriko's character that, that she would have such a nightmare that it, that it, it makes sense to me. Right. Such a Kafka esque episode too. Oh yeah. I mean, it's... <laughs> where she just gives up. There's, that's the one time when I was like, is this a dream? Cause she, cause she writes the letter with a big giant pencil to say goodbye. And then the next shot, she's in a in a briefcase with balloons attached to it flying. It's like, how did she get yeah, how, to how, that point? How did she get out yeah. of there? <laughs> yeah. Well, once you know that you, it's a dream, the dream logic makes so much more sense. I was actually totally. yelling yelling at this thing going, what is going on? It really, I almost called my wife down to ask her, like, because it just really felt like the trial, right? Like she just, she, yeah. th- things were moving in such a way that she couldn't control it. It's like. Uh, I'm not interested in that. I definitely don't want to do that. Oh, well, they just go into this elevator. What's this elevator for? Just go into it. Oh, now we're shrinking yeah. you. <laughs> it's like, but the effects for <laughs> yeah. the shrinking are so good. And just the, um, uh, oh, my brain just slipped as to what the, the technique is where you've got just two different. It reminded me of all those amazing series in the United States from the 1970s, 1960s, 1970s, like fantastic, uh, the amazing voyage and what's the other one where they shrink like the incredible shrinking man but anyway it's like where you yeah, fantastic voyage fantastic the, voyage the one where they go inside the guy yeah but it just it just seemed uh almost like flawless the seams of it you know like she yeah. would walk into uh in one shot it's clearly uh like a lunchbox essentially and ipe is just standing next to it and next scene she would walk into it and it you couldn't even tell it you it felt like cgi or or such a trick but you know it's just really good editing and, and really mm-hmm. amazing prop and miniature work yeah yeah they were they really outdid themselves and, and you know ag Subaraya was was and is considered like the 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 father of that type of special effect suitmation they would call it mm-hmm. um but just the fact that they were kind of branching out they weren't content to just do the same thing every week um, which, which I have to say some of the ultra 
ultra men series are just kind of like it's the same every week sometimes there's a fun story leading up but you know it's just going to end with one the hero fighting the monster and that's it um so i like the fact that they when they started it was this crazy like you know kind of creepy show um that would that could be weird and funny and stuff like that and also has a killer theme song can we oh agree on my that? god oh, yeah. so good yeah Actually, I've been under my breath for the whole week. I've been I've been singing this song, but the opening credits that mm-hmm. kind of like nails on a piano wire kind of a thing with the tonk. It, it has it mm-hmm. feels very much like a um, uh, the the traditional Japanese kabuki theater, like it like the kind of things yeah. you might hear in the background. But the stretching, the reverse stretching of the ultra cue uh, is just exciting yeah it's it's really cool and actually it's it's funny because like this show was such a sensation that uh tbs the tokyo broadcasting system wanted the the next show immediately but they wanted it to be more more family friendly i guess and so that and and they were like it needs to be in color and so they completely came up with this new thing which was ultraman and so the first first episode of ultraman premiered the day or the not the day the week after ultra q finished um and so the and of all 39 episodes of ultraman it opens with the ultra q swirly opening and then as soon as it actually turns to ultra q it like slices away into color and it shows ultraman and it's just like they showed such reverence to ultra q that every episode opened with the ultra q opening and then it just became ultraman it was it's it's really cool i'm gonna have to check that out uh, well, I'm plug for nothing that I'm actually involved with, but um, uh, Shout Factory TV got the rights to stream all of the Ultra series or a good chunk of the Ultra series. Um, so anybody out there listening who maybe doesn't want to pick up the Blu-ray, I think in November. So you do have to wait a little while. Ultra Q, Ultraman, Ultra 7, Return of Ultraman, Ultraman, Ace. Like you just keep going up the list and then a bunch of the newer ones are all going to be on Shout Factory TV to stream. So there you go. So uh, here's the big question. Do you think uh, Ultra Q is something that could return today? I do, and I actually wish it would. Um, I think they, they've tried to bring it back a couple times in Japan um, with very, a couple movies, and I think um, most recently was one called Ultra Q uh, Dark Fate or something like that. It wasn't quite that. Dark Fantasy um, uh, was, a, was the movie. Or, or a series rather in 2004 and then in 2013 there was neo ultra q which was meant to basically be season two of ultra q it's obviously different actors but playing the same characters and same kind of thing i would really like to check that out i haven't watched it but um i think this show is great and i would love for it to come back uh in some fashion or another um agreed uh now i'm really excited about uh taking a look at the rest of that and i i can wait until november for for something along those lines probably i thought i could too and i bought the next three <laughs> series i just was like i'm in it let's go well uh kyle are any upcoming projects you have that you'd uh, like to talk about or current projects that you're working on sure yeah well i'll just uh i'll plug my podcast i've got um uh, we just started uh, the writer's room going into Sapphire and Steel. So if you like old British television, cool. science fiction television, um, we're going monthly because there's only six serials for the rest of the year. We're doing uh, Sapphire and Steel on uh, it's still Doctor Who, the writer's room, DWTWR uh, dot Libsyn dot com uh, or my um, uh, third doctor podcast, uh, Five Years Rapid, 
with Joy Piedmont, where we are going monthly, uh, episode by episode, or story by story of the third Doctor. So uh, the next one that we've recorded but won't, hasn't gone out yet is uh, The Sea Devils, and uh, that'll go up the, f- the first Friday in August. Awesome. That's brilliant. Yeah. Very cool. Well, uh, if how can people find you on the internet if you want to be found? Oh, I do want to be. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at Kyle D. Anderson, um, uh, or you can read uh, a lot of things that I write and or edit on Nerdist.com. Um, and you can there's if you're more interested in uh, if you're interested in learning more, I guess, about um, Tokusatsu. I hosted a panel that aired over the weekend. You can find it on Nerdist YouTube about Common Writer, um, which is another of these like long running tokusatsu shows which is a lot of fun as well so uh i've really i've really gone and i've gone a whole hog into tokusatsu kind of even more than i did into doctor who at the time just because it's like <laughs> i have the time now right i got nothing else going on uh it just i just think it's so cool because you can tell the excitement in your voice when you're talking about it like you know how could you say no to experience like that if you like it go for it you know like it's 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 amazing as you're saying earlier that there's still so much out there that can uh, inspire you and kind of spark that that fandom so you know go for it yeah it's it's fun and uh it's also like it's a weird thing to be back at a point where like nobody i know really likes this stuff <laughs> i have to go search out other people to talk to about it it's <laughs> it's fun but i appreciate you guys asking me on because you asked me if there was a show i wanted to talk about i was like there definitely is because <laughs> no one has wanted to talk to me about it no that's really cool and and i think you've you know you may have found a couple of folks to uh talk about it in the future uh, i certainly would like to continue this this is absolutely right up my alley the kind of stuff that that i love and didn't even realize it was was out there and available for me well i, I really am uh happy that you guys like it so much um and and you know i will say like maybe ultraman's not for you but like it, it's the same type of thing um but it's it's fun it's good it's good times well brilliant well thank you so much for joining us absolutely thanks for having me And thank you for joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. Special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. Who and Company can be found on iheartradio.com and Spotify. Or you can download the show directly from whoandcompany.libsyn.com. Contact us on Twitter at whoandcompany. Support the show on patreon.com slash whoandcompany. Or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. Thanks, and see you next month. Ipe-kun, Keiminyodo ってなんだか知ってるか Keiminyodo ですって博士が依頼した試作品が届いてる Keiminyodo が完成したんですか<音楽>